Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today, before I launch into the episode, I just want to deliver some exciting news. I am launching an eating disorder bite-sized therapy membership. So it's a Patreon, basically like a membership as an offshoot of this podcast. So if you already love the podcast and you really enjoy listening to these episodes and you find them really helpful, but you want to delve deeper, to get more psychology, to get more tips and strategies and skills to use in your eating disorder recovery, or if you want to understand eating disorders so you can support your loved one better, this is going to be the place for you. It's only going to be five pounds a month, so really, really affordable, and I will be posting videos and some audio content as well every week. So if you're interested, go to the link in the bio, in the show notes here, sorry, or go to my bio on Instagram and you can go directly through to the membership there. So I really look forward to many of you joining and getting to know some of you better. And there'll be an opportunity as well to request different topics as well. If you want me to delve deeper into the education, the understanding, the psychology, the insights into eating disorders and recovery, just let me know. Just to say, it's not a substitute for one-to-one professional therapy. I want it to be a tool to support you because I'm so passionate on many, many people just being able to access therapy, to be able to get the support they want, to go to really access the tools and become more empowered and knowledgeable. But at the same time, of course, it's not a substitute for one-to-one therapy. So I just want to kind of say that as a disclaimer, but I hope that you will really find it helpful. And maybe if you're on a waiting list for NHS therapy, or maybe right now you can't afford to have private therapy, this could be an option as a support to help you while you're on that road. So yeah, so link to that in the show notes and also you can get to it via my bio on Instagram. Okay, today I have a returning guest to the podcast and I am talking again to Brooke Carlson. Brooke is an eating disorder therapist and licensed professional clinical counselor working primarily with adolescents and young adults and is based in Minnesota, USA. Brooke has worked for a nationwide eating disorder treatment center for three years called the EMILY program. Brooke was an outpatient therapist and partial hospitalization program coordinator during that time, whilst also running a recovery support group. Prior to this, Brooke worked at a university counseling center where she found her passion for working with students with eating disorders. Brooke now works in private practice as an eating disorder expert and sees clients all day with the hope of creating an intensive outpatient program in the future. She is also an eating disorder ambassador for the state where she helps with social media and petitioning for Congress and legislation for more resources and care for eating disorders in the state. Brooke has never personally suffered with an eating disorder. However, she has struggled with her own disordered eating and body image distress, and she brings this experience with compassion and understanding to her therapy work. So in this episode today, 
Brooke talks about the relationship between eating disorders and social media, discussing both the positive and helpful aspects in ED recovery, whilst also dissecting the toxicity and harm which social media can also cause. She explores how to use social media helpfully and in an intentional and thoughtful way to safeguard your mental well-being. She also explores ways to diversify your engagement, talks about posting versus scrolling, dealing with comments from others, and lots more. Now, Brooke's previous episode on the podcast has proved to be extremely popular, so I should try and remember to stick that in the show notes. That was all about overexercise and eating disorders in athletes. I know you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Let's get to it. Hi, Brooke. Thank you so much for coming back and being a guest again on the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. Oh, hi, Harriet. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I've been looking forward to this. Had so much fun last time. So thank you for having me join again. Oh, thank you. So, Brooke, for those people that don't know you, could you just introduce yourself, please, to the listeners? Absolutely. So my name is Brooke Carlson, and I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor based in Minnesota here, Minneapolis, Minnesota. I have worked in the eating disorder field for a long time in different kinds of fields. I have experience working at a university setting, working at a nationwide eating disorder treatment center, and now I currently work in the outpatient setting, seeing clients weekly, sometimes a little bit more than that, pertaining to eating disorder work, disordered eating, anxiety, depression, women's health, really, you name it. I think there's a connection between relationship with food and body and this type of work. So I do that. I'm also what's called an eating disorder ambassador for the state. So I help out with policies and some advocacy for the state pertaining to eating disorder. So that's a little bit about me. Oh, thanks so much, Brooke. And it sounds like you're still a very busy woman. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, but in a good way, good kind of busy. <laughs> so Brooke, today you're coming on to talk a bit about the link between social media and eating disorders. And I think like fantastic topic, I think something that's just so, so useful to all of the listeners. Now, of course, like eating disorders are quite complex psychological illnesses, aren't they? You know, and that's why they're difficult to treat. So many different like factors can contribute to the cause of eating disorders with sort of, genetics, environment, personal history, trauma, life stresses, and of course, diet culture. And I guess now as well, social media has become like an important segment of the pie, maybe in influencing eating disorders, positive and negative. So I wonder, could you just share a few thoughts on the connection, please, between, you know, social media and eating disorders? Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, that eating disorders are so complex and there's just so many different layers to an eating disorder and that although social media can't cause an eating disorder, that it can definitely influence one, that it can be an influence for disordered eating that then can kind of lean then into eating disorders. It can be even a trigger for eating disorders as well for someone that maybe is in recovery. So there can definitely be an overlap for unfortunate negatives with social media and eating disorders. On the flip side, though, and hopefully we can talk about both, is that there definitely can be some positives with social media too and recovery. Just it can be a big, big spectrum, as we would say, you know, with social media and the effect with eating disorders. Yeah, no, you're so right. And I think one thing I'm very struck by, 
with clients coming into therapy in the last sort of probably two to five years is one of the real positives of social media is that when people even start in therapy, they have an understanding of a lot of the kind of basic principles that they may have not ever been exposed to before, I guess, before social media, even if it's in quite a superficial way. But, you know, for example, understanding about regular eating or not having good and bad foods and, you know, maybe starting to realize that actually there's a connection between their eating and their body image and emotions, for example. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that, that online in some way, as long as it's from like a reputable source or just kind of making sure that what we're seeing online is not 100% always accurate, right? It's not always factual, but there can be, you know, some really great resources out there for social media, or there can also be forms of inspiration that I think you can see from social media that people can feel open and vulnerable to maybe share their eating disorder experience or their journey, that they can share resources, things that have been helpful for them or tips or tricks that have been helpful for them within their own recovery. And it's a way to sometimes even feel like you're not alone within social media is that you can connect with people that maybe share a similar experience. And that's where it can definitely be positive. And with my work in particular, I tend to work more with adolescents and young adults. So with Enosaur recovery and social media, that's just a very big topic that tends to come up just because social media has been around for a long time, but also not in the same way. And it tends to target, of course, anyone, but more so targets, you know, like that younger youth age. Sure. So let's dive in a bit to look at some of the, sort of the negatives of social media. <laughs> and I know there's some statistic from the UK. I can't remember the source of it now, actually, but it was quite sort of shocking. I think it's from even just before the pandemic, actually, but saying that 22% of adults and 40% of teens had found that social media had sort of really impacted very negatively on their body image. And then I know, you know, since the pandemic, we know that kind of use of social media massively increased. And of course, as well, I think, you know, stats in terms of like how people are feeling about their body, things definitely seem to have worsened. And, you know, we've obviously had this massive rise in eating disorders so I wonder, Brooke, actually, if you could just perhaps explain in a way some of the ways in which social media can be really unhelpful or triggering to someone. Yeah, definitely. Throughout my time, I've kind of looked at some of like the negatives almost in three different pillars, but they kind of weave together in some way that in one way, I think social media can be unhelpful is that sometimes we think what we're seeing online is 100% true and it's fully accurate. And that unfortunately it's not that there can be some unreliable information that there are sometimes some adults that don't have like the experience or the license or the credentialing to give out like therapeutic or clinical advice or information. So sometimes we're seeing things that we, that seems reputable that's coming from a person who has a lot of experience when really in fact they don't. So I think that's just something to know that not everyone knows exactly what they're talking about. The other piece of that too is with social media being unreliable is social media in a way can also be a marketing tactic too. you know, to have posts or videos about diets or exercise routines, or, you know, if this diet has failed you, here's the the brand new state of the art diet that's going to help you achieve all your goals, or here are ways to lose weight, essentially. And as we know, with diets, those are unreliable as well. And they don't in fact work. So even in that way too, that in marketing tactic can be 
feel like, you know, everyone's doing it and it's hundred percent true when really it's not. And that can further increase disordered eating disorder with that marketing tactic. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. So did you say three pillars or did you say two pillars? <laughs> three pillars, actually. Yep. So the first one would definitely be like that unreliable information where the next one kind of pertaining back to what you're saying with bodies is comparison that with social media, there can be a lot of comparing that happens, whether that be comparing ourselves to someone else's body, you know, that way somebody else looks, it can also be a zone for comparing life, you know, like if we're seeing people who are pursuing parts of life that maybe we're not quite there yet, you know, if that's marriage or work or children or school, friends, travel, whatever that means that sometimes people can feel like, you know, they're not doing enough or they're not catching up with everybody else for what everyone's doing, that there's almost like this normalcy that we see with social media. So it can make us feel like we're not doing what everyone else is doing and that can feel not the greatest. So comparing of bodies, comparing of life with also social media too, especially when we're looking at photos is that there's so much photo editing, honestly, there's so many photo editing apps. So even sometimes what we're seeing is not truly there so much photo editing and there's lighting and perceptions and all those things that maybe what we're seeing is not totally true either, but we're seeing it. So sometimes we think it's true. And we also can kind of sometimes get stuck into like all the likes or all the comments or all the followers within social media too. And that's where we can sometimes compare ourselves as well. So that's definitely how comparison and maybe some unreliable information kind of weave back and forth for the last pillar can be triggers, you know, if we're seeing things that are triggering, whether people posting parts of their recovery that maybe aren't the most positive, if people are sharing personal eating disorder stories that are maybe too detailed, too triggering, as we know, eating disorders can be competitive, so that can get activating, that there can sometimes still be glamorizing of eating disorders and photos that can be triggering. So, of course, those triggers can then go into comparison, right? And those kind of weave back and forth to each other too. So those are kind of the three pillars that I see that are distinct, but also have so many overlaps as well. Mm, Yeah, no, thank you for explaining that. I think about the first one you were saying as well about things not being 100% true. And I'm thinking about, you know, celebrities or kind of famous people or influencers as well. It's so seductive, isn't it, to get pulled into sort of you know, seeing someone looking kind of very gorgeous on screen, using a product or eating certain things in a day or whatever. And yeah, it's very easy, isn't it, to get so drawn into that kind of marketing and then doing the comparison, you know, bringing in all the three pillars there. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And especially during the pandemic, when we didn't have much to do, a lot of us were increasing our hours or our time on social media. So we're seeing these things more and they're coming up on our feed a lot more. And when there's not much to do, right, that's kind of what you go for. And with marketing too, this is kind of where the Minnesota ambassador position comes in that there's just going to be a lot of issues with like even online safety, you know, for things that are showing up on people's feeds or things that are being directed towards even like younger generations like that are completely inappropriate for that age and just like some themes or some pressures or 
just anything really that can be negatively impactful for even younger generations like people see that on social media and the thing is we don't always know what other people you know for a parent out there with a child with an eating disorder we don't always know what we're seeing because it's just the worldwide web right like so much unknown so much out there so you know unfortunately you can go into some darker paths with social media Mm, absolutely and the way the algorithms work as well you know once you go down a rabbit hole of looking at something you get more and more of that content don't you particularly on sort of Instagram and TikTok Mm -hmm, definitely or even what's interesting too with the algorithm is you can be watching something super positive or recovery oriented and all of a sudden something pops up it's like whoa how did that get there like that is not at all what my feed is about and it can be even kind of shocking but then if you watch the video right then your algorithm kind of changes again too so that balance can be shifted again Mm. yeah it's very confusing isn't it and I think you know a lot of people have sort of jumped on the bandwagon of using hashtags like intuitive eating or body neutrality when they are actually promoting weight loss maybe Mm -hmm. you know because of it's a way to kind of get seen and reach more people isn't it and I think again that can be very confusing can't it where you're kind of getting a conflict in the messages there Mm -hmm. yeah for sure for sure that there are great items that can be talked about on social media like body neutrality or like intuitive eating but also those are things that could be better discussed within like a professional right like a therapist or a dietitian a psychologist because again that's where it can kind of sometimes connect back to the unreliable information of you know what might be intuitive eating to one person may not be what it is clinically evidence-wise through someone who's a licensed dietitian. So there's sometimes Mm -hmm. like these very important topics that are out there that are very crucial for recovery, but sometimes the content within that's not completely accurate. Mm -hmm. So true. So those are the negatives. What about, I know we've touched on this a little bit sort of earlier on in our discussion today, but about some of the positives, but can you sort of elaborate a bit more in terms of like some of the things that can be really beneficial about social media for people with eating disorders in recovery? Definitely. You know, social media has a blend of both great and not so great. Some of the great parts of social media is that it's a wonderful way to connect with others, that it's a way to stay in touch with people, that it's also can be a great way to laugh and to smile, that there are some funny or sweet things that you can see online that just kind of, you know, boost your mood a little bit, that there are ways or ideas to get creative. You know, like if you're in the arts community that I know TikTok has some great, like, inspiration kind of accounts that are out there for if you're creative or musically and you know inspiration in itself that there are people out there that can share their stories or they can share things that have been helpful for them that maybe people haven't thought of themselves before and it's like oh my gosh that's so clicks that was so helpful like to hear that I feel validated I feel like that resonates with me so that inspiration like can lead to validation can be super important too that there is also a lot of great resources with social media. Again, when you're looking at it from a good source, that there are sites like Nita or Dove is even a really great resource or like your Instagram page, for example, that there are some really great reputable sites that are there too, that people can use for additional support because that's where some ways social media can be a good use is a means of support. Mm. Do you have any sort of, Specific tips as well for people to use social media in a constructive and helpful way without sometimes going down the rabbit hole of not feeling good enough 
and consuming a lot of content, which may be quite detrimental to them. Mm-hmm, definitely. Some tips and reminders. Some reminders being that likes or follows, you know, don't always align with somebody's values and morals. So that in the grand scheme of life, you know, how many likes or comments or followers we have doesn't necessarily always matter. And that with social media, oftentimes we're just seeing the best version of somebody else's self that people tend to want to post the good things or the happy things, which is great, you know, and I think there's a big part of us that really is happy for other people. But also, we're not always showing those struggles or the things that we're going through that we're having a hard time with. So that again, we're not always seeing both sides to a person. And that it's also okay to take some space from social media that I know a lot of us can feel like we have to stay connected, or we do have a fear of missing out that FOMO feeling in a way. And it's also okay to take a break. So that's kind of where that segues into how to help and some tips and tricks that it's cool to not log into Instagram or TikTok for a couple of days to really have some space away from that, or even just deleting off your phone so you're not tempted by it once in a while. That can be really rejuvenating. Or even just to look at really your social media platform in terms of like what you're following or who you're following and to look at what's helpful and not helpful that if there's certain accounts or certain people that maybe just don't bring you joy or can kind of negatively impact your mood or can be triggering to your recovery is to simply unfollow them you know to unfollow them or to even mute that in a way but just to have some boundaries and distance away from the things that aren't helpful can be really, really great. Along then with adding some accounts that are positive and uplifting, that are, you know, connectable and that are, you know, resonating for you, that align with your values or things that just make you happy, that bring joy. Adding those accounts can be such a difference too. I know it sounds like a very simple idea, but honestly, it can be so helpful, especially with recovery and really early on in your recovery if you're starting treatment. That's definitely what I would suggest and uh, to be mindful of like what we're looking at and also like what we're posting to. I think that's also something to keep in mind and just social media in general, I think can of course be impactful for recovery, but also is for just mental health in general with anxiety or mood, sleep quality in social media. Like, Hey, I'm guilty of going on TikTok really late at night. And I'm like, Oh, I'll just go on for five minutes. And then an hour later, whoops, well, I'm going to get some (laughs) less sleep now. We're all guilty of that too. And that majority of us have social media. We've all kind of been there before with, you know, playing a part of what's helpful and not helpful. And sometimes it's helpful to take a step back and look at how does this affect us and what would be more helpful instead. Mm. There's some great tips in there. And I love the sort of whole just diversifying, you know, the content that you're following and you know I guess there's so much isn't there that you could be exposing yourself to which could be like really inspiring and creative in terms of people's like amazing photography of sunsets or something or travel or I'm just thinking even of some of those reels that you see of people doing like really scary crazy things (laughs) you know when they're standing on the edge of a mountain or something or like (laughs) But there's a lot there, isn't there, that's very entertaining sometimes. Because I think even with the best will in the world, you might mute a lot of accounts, but you may still be very absorbed in like food and body and eating stuff, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily. But 
I think it's great, isn't it, just to expand your sort of consciousness out of that as well as the helpful content you're exposing yourself to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting to see like how much content out there is connected to food or weight, weight loss, diets, exercise, bodies in general, that there are things like what I eat in a day or what a day in recovery kind of looks like. And again, those can can be definitely helpful, but it's interesting to see like just how much of online is really about those topics. And like you said, it's great to then expand outside of just that too. Like, yes, those things definitely can be impactful and play a role. And let's also expand to the other things that align with our values or just bring us joy that are happy or, you know, create more of like your identity, you know, other outlets that connect to your autonomous self and in a more holistic kind of view, I think that is super, super helpful that it's not just focused on one thing that we get a lot of variety out there. Mm, yeah, and no, I'm so with you. And I think with the kind of mute unfollow thing as well, I think sometimes you do have to be quite radical with this, don't you? Because I think sometimes even if you do a really good old detox of your feed, if you've still got on there like one or two super triggering people for you for whatever reason, those accounts can still really preoccupy your thoughts or, you know, you can find yourself thinking about those accounts maybe at different times of the day or you know, I think sometimes you do have to be quite radical with that, would you say? I would agree with that too. And I think there's that human part of us that like, well, I feel bad I'm doing that. They're my friend or a family member, or, you know, I don't want them to be mad at me if I were to unfollow. That's where the mute part of Instagram has been really, really helpful for people. But I think there's part of us that feel bad if we do those mm. things. And that that's fair. You know, we're, we're humans who care about other humans. And right, if there's those things that are really bothersome for you that impact you in not a great way it's just not worth it right and that unfollow mute feeling it's kind of tough at first but then when you do it it's like oh my gosh why didn't I do this sooner this was so much more helpful yeah they're very true and what do you think about I'm sure I like read something somewhere about how some people are more kind of creators on Instagram and some people are more kind of like the scrollers or consumers and saying that to have a healthier relationship Sorry, not just with Instagram, I guess with social media in general, but sometimes it can be helpful to be like creating at least something on your feed, maybe so that you are not just the passive consumer that maybe that you are sort of, you know, putting your ideas, inspiration and thought into your own creations as well. So that can be perhaps quite helpful sometimes and detract from the like endless scrolling. But I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I definitely agree that that can be another helpful outlet. Again, that's kind of like separate from the viewer consumer that like you're contributing to something that also kind of reminds me of the idea of advocacy online, you know, sharing resources or sharing phone numbers or places that are really helpful, you know, and I know it was Nita week a couple months ago. And that was like a week that was so great for clients to either share their story or to share places, you know, to share themes that are helpful or tips or tricks from them. So I think even just sharing resources and advocating for change, you know, even if it's just a repost or sharing something, you know, shedding some light on something that you never know, it could really mean something for somebody else. Like, hey, I saw this and that actually really resonated with me or I saw this and it led me to, 
you know, want to call my therapist again and set up appointments again. So I think that advocacy empowerment lens with social media too can be really therapeutic. Mm, yeah, no, I think so helpful. And I think as you were talking then, I was just thinking about a real positive of social media in terms of when you are really engaging with other accounts, you know, perhaps you get to know someone through the comments or you start DMing them. And I just think from my own experience, you know, obviously I'm a professional now, I'm not someone sort of recovering from an eating disorder, but I have sort of a community of people that I have met through Instagram, particularly, where we've really got to know each other and really connected. And, you know, we're going to be like, you know, having an event together in London later this year. Yeah, which is really exciting, actually. But I was just thinking as well about the value of, you know, when you're engaging with content, or perhaps the value of engaging with content and really connecting and starting to get to know someone, rather than sometimes like the random scrolling, where we sort of assume so much, don't we? And it's much more superficial engagement. You know, you might not even like, you might almost just be sort of like, you know, observing from a distance kind of thing. But I'm just thinking that connection sometimes as well can really help, can't it? I think we for those genuine connections where you get to know someone and then maybe there's a bit more vulnerability and a meeting of minds, that can be incredibly helpful. It can be, absolutely. But you never know what kind of relationships you're going to build. It can be such a positive impact that you can have, you know, with meeting people and connecting a little bit more. Even I think the simple kind comments that we can post of like, thank you for sharing, like this was really helpful, or I really appreciate this, or this made my day, you know, even just like commenting positive things, it can be the most simple, short comment to make, even I think just participating in that way can be helpful too. And that can even like you said, kickstart, you know, a thread or conversations where you guys can connect and that can take you all the way to meeting up and building those relationships outside of social media too. So I know as well, sometimes people are quite fearful on social media, understandably because of the darker side and occasionally someone might get trolled or really sort of negative comments. But I think from my experience, particularly in the eating disorder recovery community, thankfully, that has been very, very minimal from what I've seen. And maybe I've just been really, really fortunate. (laughs) But, you know, I I think my experience generally, because you do hear some very sort of dark and sinister things about what goes on on the internet and trolling and horrible things. But my experience generally of the eating disorder recovery community has been that people are generally very supportive and encouraging and, you know, wanting the best for people, really. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's so wonderful, too. And, you know, I think the people that are really engaged in like that recovery part of social media know what it's like to be on the other side of seeing things that aren't helpful or being, you know, can resonate in some ways of how maybe they have felt, you know, not a great impact from social media. And that's a one really great community, the recovery community that is so empowering and supportive of like, you go, girl, you got this, you can do this. Thank you. It gets better. It gets easier. Don't ever stop one day at a time. I feel like that's a community that is incredibly, incredibly supportive. So I'm happy to hear that your experience has been positive. I think it gets definitely more positive as I think time goes on. That kind of how social media worked like way back in the day was a lot more like negative and trolling, you know, secretive, where now I think it's a lot more, hopefully we're going that direction of being more genuine more authentic and just more supportive because yeah those things can really when they're negative comments or trolls like that can just take you down you know like that can definitely 
bust your move and impact you like that, where when it's positive and upbeat and, you know, wonderful like that, it makes a world of difference. Yeah, it certainly does. So Brooke, do you have any thoughts as well about the responsibilities of, you know, the owners of TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, etc.? Because I guess we know, don't we? I mean, there's plenty of research to show that social media is quite harmful, particularly around things like body image. Yeah. What do you think the companies should be doing, if anything? Oh, that's a big question. That's a big (laughs) question. I'm sure lots of things, lots of things. And I I think it starts with like even the smaller steps too of, you know, protecting young minds and online safety and being really mindful or some type of system. I'm not quite sure security system even for what is allowed to be like posted online or things that can be taken down readily or just I'm not quite sure that that's such a good question. I've never thought about like that before, but just any type of movement to try and create like just online safety and wellness and helpfulness when it comes to just the online world. I'm curious to know what you would say to them if you had the opportunity. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't got my like three pillar plan. (laughs) I wish I did. (laughs) But yeah, I do sometimes fantasize about just, you know, just say if like, I don't know, TikTok went down for a month. I'm sure it would have such a beneficial impact. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I obviously like it. That's a bit drastic, isn't it? But I think I'm just sort of thinking about, you know, sort of like research that was done years ago. Like I was thinking about the research in the 90s where in Fiji, they introduced, mm. you know, television and like Western culture, like Friends, the the TV program Friends. And suddenly they were sort of like exposed to these sort of thin, idealized kind of bodies. And obviously like in Fiji, it's, you know, generally a more kind of curvaceous figure is really celebrated. And, you know, they were quite interested to see would these young women, I think it was mainly women that were looked at, would they be influenced by the TV I think even back then, I think that was in like the late 90s or something, you know, so many of the girls about body image issues, eating disorders, and that was literally from a TV program and like, I guess, so much reduced, you know, influence compared to what our young people are exposed to today. So obviously, we're not going to cure eating disorders and body image issues with, you know, removing TikTok or something. <laughs> but I suppose I do fantasize sometimes about just the profound impact that that could have. I mean, you know, I guess there would be lots of negative consequences as well because of, you know, it is a very creative place. So many people get so much joy from it. But looking in more in isolation at food, body image, mental health, it is interesting, isn't it? I would be very curious to see what happened if TikTok or something went down for a month. (laughs) I'd be curious about that too, especially for like my adolescent to younger clients, for sure. That would probably have some big feelings from that. And I think Mm. it's kind of what you're saying that I connect with too, you know, in a perfect world, it would be great just to have like such honest and genuine conversations and education about this, right? You know, with that Fiji study and talking about just the effects and impact of social media and mental health in general, you know, that being towards the consumers, right? The people that have the app that are on the app, you know, really just talking about that, of course, talking about the lights of social media, but also the downfalls of it too, but also like educating adults too, you know, because I think anyone, everyone can have these thoughts, these feelings. So I think just, it would be great to have like the most in-depth 
cool research. <laughs> Maybe it's <laughs> like my nerdy brain that's, that's thinking out loud with that. But just to have like this really great opportunity for education and learning. So I think that that's how we get better as a society is that we can grow and we can learn and that's how we make change for the future. Yeah, no words of wisdom there. And <laughs> I guess ultimately it is about educating people, isn't it? And us all as individuals taking more responsibility, becoming more intentional. Yeah, because in a way, these big companies are influenced by our desires, aren't they? And very responsive to what we are looking at and what we are scrolling. And the more we as individuals, you know, take responsibility for stepping away from diet culture as well, and, you know, appreciating the diversity of bodies and working more on our mental health and self-esteem and processing emotions and all those good things. I guess that's where the real impact Mm -hmm. is going to come, isn't it, for the long term? Right. And for anyone, you know, just to have anyone be open to learning, whether you're someone who experiences an eating disorder, is in recovery, or someone who supports someone who's in that stage, or someone who's not even associated at all with eating disorders. I think just having that broad learning experience for everyone could be really huge. Like, for example, my mom sent me a video that she even saw on TikTok. and was like, oh my gosh, like this was like a video that made me really see what you do for work and like what really your population looks like. This was so profound. I feel like I learned so much. And my mom's amazing. I absolutely adore her. But it was even cool to see her like, wow, like this was such like a positive you know, insight building for her. So someone who is removed from eating disorders and like this kind of work. So I think just that global education, whether you're affiliated to recovery or not, just so we can all learn together. Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? I mean, maybe even the global education part is even the most important part, isn't it? Because I think, you know, with saying with this with huge compassion, really, like, you know, like all of us, you know, but many people in society, we're just holding all these unconscious beliefs, aren't we? And, you know, beliefs about weight loss, beliefs about what health is, beliefs about eating disorders. Often people just don't realize that they are perhaps viewing things in not the most helpful way. They're just massively unconsciously impacted by diet culture, and then just responding accordingly. So Yeah. And I'm so with you, Brooke, actually. I think it's the global reach is really important, isn't it? And that's when you're really sowing those really deep seeds for prevention of all these issues in the first place. Because it's much better to do it that way, isn't it? Than by the time people end up in services after years of conditioning in an unhealthy direction. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that can be done at a pretty early age, you know, when young kids' brains are still developing, you know, we can have like these conversations at that middle school age where we're talking about it, you know, Mm. in a classroom setting or talking about like in health class, we can talk about it within peers, within like family support networks that we can start this this conversation really young, definitely is the hope too, that we can further empower and further teach and grow the generations before us, right? That's kind of what, what my really hope is for this next generation is that we can keep doing better maybe that's one way yeah and it's so true I think it's already really inspiring isn't it seeing sort of Gen Z kind of coming through and just challenging all the stuff (laughs) in Mm -hmm. such a you know in a really radical helpful way and really embracing body diversity and you know just diversity generally really and sort of throwing up in the air the old sort of notions and outdated beliefs 
and, you know, really turning things on their heads, which is, you know, it's been long overdue, I think, for many issues, hasn't it? Yeah, I hope that continues. I hope that there's more research that comes out, that there's more opportunities for advocacy, that there's more people that will speak out in terms of like their own experience. I'm very hopeful for the future that we we keep on getting better, that I don't think we can completely eliminate all of this forever and ever as much as we would love maybe to have that happen, but at least that we can learn about it, learn from it, rise above it and continue moving forward and making change maybe in that department. Mm, yeah, no, so true. So Brooke, is there anything that you would like to add that I haven't really asked you about? So I don't want to kind of miss out on any of your little sort of gems of wisdom around this topic. I think the only thing is I can definitely email it to you is that I do have this kind of a screenshot of a picture of all these really positive recovery accounts that I've kind of looked at throughout my time at the hospital program I used to work at for eating disorders and that I usually like to give that out to people who are just starting their treatment journey of like, I don't really know much about this and like this stage of, you know, my recovery or like what to expect or like just what to know. Like it's so much to learn. So if you'd like, I'd be happy to send over a photo. And if you would like to share that about just what are some positive recovery accounts that a therapist has actually looked through <laughs> to make sure mm-hmm. it is genuinely positive, I'd be happy to do that as well. Yeah, no, that'd be fantastic, Brooke. And is it like an image as well that you could share on Instagram as well? Is it like, or is it like Instagram friendly in that way? Or is it more something you'd share as a document? Well, you know what? In the treatment center I used to work at, we had all walls of whiteboards. So we spent like a whole day looking through, not a whole day, I should say, a whole group of looking at different positive recovery accounts. And we put them on a whiteboard. So what I did was I took a picture of the whiteboard that had all of the account names on them. And then I use that to like send it out through an email to some clients that ask for it or would find it beneficial. So I can definitely just send that photo along. It's probably got like 10 to 15 Instagram accounts that are helpful for recovery. So it's not like linked or anything, but it's just a photo. Yeah, no, lovely. No, brilliant. Because I was just thinking I can like, I could even share it on my feed and credit you if it's, you know, if that's a way of sharing it. But yeah, send it over anyway. And then we'll find a way because I think that would be a great resource. So thank you for that. Of course, of course. Okay, Brooke, so where can people find you if they want to get in touch or, you know, find out more about the work you do, etc.? Sure. So I work in Edina, Minnesota. So I work for a wonderful private practice called All In Therapy Clinic. Feel free to check us out online at www.allintherapyclinic.com and you can find me in my bio and reach out for a meet and greet or a first appointment. And that is a great way to reach me. Okay, fantastic. Well, Brooke, I'd really like to thank you for coming on the podcast again today. You know, really appreciate all your knowledge and tips and wisdom. And I'm sure this episode is going to be hugely popular. I know that the one that you did before, all about some exercise and everything was, you know, it's been hugely popular and downloaded many times. So I'm sure this will be the same. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I appreciate all your insight, all your great questions, and I look forward to connecting soon. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Do go and check out all of Brooke's info in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. If you enjoy this podcast, I would be so grateful if you would follow, rate, and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. 
And thank you everyone who has left a review. I do read all of your reviews and I am extremely grateful. So thank you so much. I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm-hmm.